the Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice and the God of peace will be with you. So with your Bible open, just have a look there at verse 4. Um, being a missionary kid growing up overseas, one of four boys, there was a song that we were made to sing that was basically the repetition of that verse. Again and again and again. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. The amazing thing about this repetitive song is you could sing it in rounds. So you could have half the church start and then the second half join in and you get higher each repetition. You could sing it in Bengali as well as in English. In fact, you could do a round which had multiple languages going. You can tell I really loved it. It was an inspirational moment in my childhood. I think it was things like being told, come on, you can sing louder. You don't look like you're happy. Let's do this again. I think those sorts of things didn't help, plus maybe the fact that I didn't actually enjoy singing. It's up there with shine, Jesus, shine in my memory. And so when you look at this, this passage of the Bible, that verse just sort of distracts me. So I don't know if you're like me. Please don't let it. We have to put all that baggage to one side because we're actually looking at verses 1 to 9 and there is more here than just that verse. This is intended to be an encouraging part of the Bible, a kind of good part of the Bible to be looking at this at this stage in the year as the new year is opening up in front of us. If you're visiting um, church, checking out where you'll be for church for the rest of this year, it's a good kind of passage to look at. It helps us to refocus and encourages us to stand firm in our trust in Jesus. And there are, I know, all sorts of things that will shake our trust in Jesus. You don't have to be around too long. You don't have to have just turned 50 to be able to appreciate these things. There are all sorts of reasons why you would take your focus off Jesus. Sometimes it, it's doubts you have. I mean, you're mixing in a, an environment where people are talking all sorts of different things that sound so foreign to the gospel, and so you have your doubts. And rather than talk those things through, rather than pray about those things, you start to drift. Or you may have made a, a strong start. You may have just come off the back of a youth group camp this time last year and been really enthusiastic and then during the course of the year, you kind of drop off on your Bible reading. So you stop feeding your faith. And again, you start to drift. Rather than standing firm in the gospel, you start to lose your confidence in the gospel. Or it could be that you just, you just get busy. You get busy doing stuff. You get preoccupied looking after um, your little kids. Or all the time pressures involved with your teenage kids. Or worrying about your adult kids. All these things keep you busy and keep you distracted. And it's not just parents that have this happen. It's the kids too with the pressure from the parents or the non-Christian parents who think it's just a stage they're going through. All sorts of pressures and reasons why you may not stand firm. It could be that you got into really poor habits through COVID times, through all those lockdowns and stuff, and you still haven't shaken that. 
still drifting, still fallen out of good habits. But I reckon as we look at this part of the Bible, I think what's behind Paul's words is actually a more aggressive sort of opposition to the gospel. And we know that too. We know what it's like when people disagree with us or when people pick on us because we say we're a Christian or we go to school and we say our dad's a minister and we get picked on because of that. We know what it's like to have opposition to the gospel. All sorts of things can rock your faith in Jesus. And I think all those reasons make this part of the Bible, this little short letter of Philippians, a good place to be spending a few moments. So the Apostle Paul, he's writing to the Philippians. He's writing to encourage them to stand firm. And I know you've had a couple of sermons in Philippians, but I was elsewhere, so I don't know what you've covered. If you go back and look at chapter 1, verse 27, you, you see it there. His motivation for writing is he wants them to stand firm. And you see it again in 4, verse 1. He wants them to stand firm. Beginning and end of this book, this letter. Stand strong in the gospel. He's encouraging Christians to conduct themselves in a manner that is worthy of the gospel. To contend or to strive, to stick up for the truth of the gospel. And so if you are following along in your sermon outline, yeah, that we're working on the first point here. This is a letter written to people who are partners in the gospel, urging them to stand firm. And so let's do a little bit of background just to, to feel the weight of this. So a good way to understand um, where this letter is coming from is to read around in Acts. But before you get there, um, Paul tells us why he's, uh, that in 1 verse 13, he tells us he's writing from Rome when he's under guard. Basically, he's amongst it in Rome. It says the whole palace, it says there, or the whole palace guard in 1 verse 13. And down in 4 verse 22, he talks about Caesar's household. So here's Paul kind of under house arrest in Rome, opposition all around, writing to these Christians in Philippi. And so then when you dig around in the book of Acts, if you find your way to Acts verse 16, I know there's a bit of Bible flipping, but it can't hurt you. There's no help on the screen behind me. I'm sorry. Well, I'm not actually sorry because it's good for you to be in the Bible. If you have a look at Acts, verse, uh, Acts chapter 16, you start reading around there and you get an idea of how Paul and his friends took the gospel to Philippi in the first place. So in verse 11 of chapter 16, it says, From Troas, we, this is Luke writing, um, writing about him and Paul and their travel companions. From Troas, we put out and, um, to sea and sailed straight for Sumathras and next day went on to Neophilus. From there, we traveled to Philippi. That's where this letter is being written into, to a Roman colony a leading city of the district of Macedonia, and we stayed there for seven days. This comment about um, Philippi being a Roman colony, it's important when you're reading this letter to the Philippians because Roman citizenship is a big idea that they understand. And Paul uses their understanding of Roman citizenship to talk about the citizenship of the kingdom of heaven. So you've got this background that helps you understand the letter. You keep reading in Acts verse, uh, chapter 16, verse 13, Luke tells us that on the Sabbath day, Paul and his mission partners went to the river where they expected to find people praying, I guess looking for God-ish, and they begin to speak the gospel there with the women who were there, and Lydia becomes a believer. So you've got a conversion, someone who becomes a Christian, this lady Lydia. In 16, verse 15, she and her whole household get baptized. So positive response to the gospel in Philippi. But there was also opposition to the gospel. So Luke tells us about this slave girl who made money um, by fortune telling. And she followed Paul around, calling after him. And so Paul turns and casts the evil spirit out of her. And 16 verse 19, when the owners realize 
you know, their hope of making money through this girl is gone. They grab Paul and Silas and drag them to the authorities and have them thrown into prison. So there's the kind of opposition to the gospel that you're seeing in Philippi. And you can imagine the impact on Lydia and her friends, new converts, just become a Christian. The person who shared the gospel with them is in prison. You can imagine the impact. That night in prison, Paul and Silas, they were praying and singing. They're probably singing rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice in in a round, maybe. And there was an earthquake and the chains fell off, the doors open and they were released. Um, The jailer seeing what's happened, thinks about taking his own life. But Paul says, okay, we're all here. And then this man and his whole household became, were, were baptized. It's the gospel having an impact in Philippi in amongst all this opposition to the gospel. Out of a seemingly impossible situation, the gospel continues to bear fruit. And then the next day, the authorities, they ordered Paul and Silas to be released. It's kind of like do this thing quietly, and he stands up, um, says he's a citizen of Rome. Basically, you know, we're doing a bit of background, but understanding who Paul's writing to when he writes this letter to the Philippians. It was a bumpy start for this church in Philippi, but a church grew up with this opposition around them. And now Paul's writing this letter to his partners in the gospel saying, stand firm in the gospel, keep contending for the gospel. You can see the opposition they've got is kind of different to the stuff I described at the beginning of the sermon. It's kind of an aggro um, negativity towards the gospel. And, but if you have a look at 4 verse 14, um, you, you get more of a feel for this. So 4 verse 14, yet it was good of you to share in my troubles Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of our acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out from Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving except you only. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid more than once when I was in need. They have this partnership in the gospel, Paul and the Philippians. Um, Paul's under guard in Rome now, and he's writing to these Christians who he's worked with shared the gospel with, has fellowship with. And this is a letter written out of trials and challenges into a climate of opposition um, at a time when real sacrifices were being made for the gospel. And Paul writes and says in 1 verse 27, whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner that is worthy of the gospel of Christ. And from what you've seen in Acts chapter 16, you can see what that might look like, standing up for the gospel. And he goes on, then whenever I, whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. There's your kind of your, your rough introduction to this letter. What we're looking at today, though, is just the end few verses, chapter 4, verses 1 to 19. And at this end of the letter, it's like Paul sprays out all these last instructions these last things and as he does that he loops back around and says stand firm like he did in 1 verse 27 Um, so 4 verse 1 therefore my brothers and sisters you whom I love and long for my joy and crown stand firm in the Lord in this way dear friends and I think the in this way is looking back at all he's written to this point and so you look back up through this letter you look at um, chapter 3 verse 20 to have this eager desire for Jesus to return, for the kingdom of God to be at hand, and so stand firm. Or you look back up in chapter 3, verses 1 to 11, that Andreas took us through, where he considers every earthly achievement nothing compared to, um, being, to knowing Christ. He's saying, stand firm like that. Or you look back up into chapter 2, that I, um, Tom, I believe, took you through, and all that talk of being humble, having the same mind as Christ, Paul's saying, stand firm like that. Stand firm in this way. 
And back up in chapter 1, verse 27, conduct yourselves in a manner that's worthy of the gospel, being united, stand firm like that. And I don't know what it is that could be causing you to question your faith in Jesus, to kind of not be standing so firm, but this letter is a massive encouragement to hang on in there, to keep sticking up for the truth and contending for the truth. And then as you look at verses 1 to 9, you get these instructions. So stand firm like this, and then he tells them exactly what he wants them to do. And that's where verse 2 comes in. I plead with Euodia, and I plead with Syntyche to be of the same mind in the Lord. How would you feel if that was you, named in the Apostle Paul's letter, being read 2,000 years later? Being named because you disagreed with someone. Makes you cringe, doesn't it? We're not told what they disagreed over. I mean, might have been their muffin recipes. It doesn't say. The important thing is that they deal with those differences. And so the Apostle Paul says, I plead with you, just sort it out. Um, there's more to this because they've got a huge, um, they've got a lot in common. Look at verse 3. Yes, and I ask you, my true companion, help these women since they have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel, along with Clement and the rest of my co-workers whose names are written in the book of life. These are two Christian ladies who fought for the gospel. And now they've got something going on, this disagreement going on. I reckon that, I don't think they'll particularly mind at this point their names in there. I reckon it's helpful for us to see this because it is very easy for us as Christians to disagree and to find ourselves disagreeing over things which in the scheme of things, they don't really matter. And so if you're holding a grudge against a brother or sister in Christ, whether it's in our congregation here or wider, if that's you, then don't let self-centeredness and pride and anger cause you to be divided keep working at being united you can see how important it is to Paul here um, and our personality comes into this so when you are in a, a, a situation of disagreement some of us need to be urged because we're quiet people urged to speak up raise the concern work it through some of us need to be urged to shut up and listen try to understand it from the other person's point of view and some of us need to simply let go and stop obsessing over those little things. Just forget it. Most of the time, I reckon we need to be the one to act first, to make the effort to say sorry, be quick, um, to genuinely forgive. So Philippians two, 4 verses 2 to 3, if you're looking at that verse and yes, it's giving you cause to reflect, then I encourage you to act on it prayerfully. As we keep working through these final instructions um, in this letter to these partners in the gospel, I'm just picking out kind of the, the main verbs where he gives instructions, imperatives to act. And then you come to my favorite verse, verse four. Rejoice in the Lord always. I say it again, rejoice. It's an, it's an instruction. Rejoice, be happy. I don't think it necessarily means that you have to sing the verse in rounds to take it to heart. What I think it's saying is we should have a joyful attitude because we are in Christ. We've got so much to be thankful for, so much to look forward to. And having this kind of positive attitude, it's something which even non-Christians value. But for us, how much more? I mean, we've actually got real hope. In Christ, we've been forgiven. We have new life. And so rejoice. Have this attitude of joyfulness. And the list of instructions that continues on, verse 5, let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Gentleness, some translations have reasonableness. You've got 
we've got to be joyful in verse 4. We've got to be generous, I guess, and gentle, reasonable in verse 5. As you look at that, the idea of being gentle and reasonable like that, I know as Australians we pick on the palms because they're winches, and there's a certain truth in that, but, you know, there's four fingers pointing back. Us Australians, we can have a very negative attitude, like the world is opposed to us, everyone's against us. Um, small thing, but I was at the shops on Friday. I didn't have a lot of stuff. The lady in front of me in the queue for the checkout says, this bloke's useless, he's so slow, go somewhere else. Like, really? That's, that's kind of you know, the, the good old Aussie spirit at times. No, that's, as Christians, we can afford to be joyful. And we can afford to be generous and gentle. And it goes on in verse 6, don't be anxious about anything. This is the one that starts to put your faith in God to the test, doesn't it? Don't be anxious about anything. Um, sometimes you read that verse and it makes you anxious just thinking about not being anxious. Don't be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. You know, some things, they will keep you up at night. But this passage is urging you not to do that because God's sovereign. You can trust that he has what's right in mind and God will look after everything. You don't have to solve it all. And so rather than worrying or rather being anxious, we're being urged to pray. That, the word petition, that's basically the word for prayer. It's ask the thankfulness. I don't think it's thankfulness that you get what you want. I think it's thankfulness that you can trust God and bring these concerns to him. So again, if that's, if that's you, don't let these sorts of things shake your trust in Jesus. Stand firm. Bring your concerns to God and pray. And it goes on in verse 7, and the peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. We're being told on the one hand, don't worry and pray like mad, but then we're being told, and God will look after you. You'll know God's peace. And you see an echo of it down in verse 9. I know you're jumping ahead a bit, but it talks about the God of peace will be with you. There's these instructions, these things we have to do, and then there's the reassurance that God's with you. God's looking after this. Then finally in verses 8 and 9, I reckon this is where the Apostle Paul you know, kind of pulls in everything he might have forgotten about or overlooked, makes sure it all gets mentioned. So if you have a look at verse 8, he's talking about looking at the way you think. So finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Fill your mind with that stuff. Don't fill your mind with grumps and gripes or your worldly wish list or your worries or your disagreements with Euodians and Tiki. Fill your mind with these things. And then in the next verse, verse 9, don't just fill your mind get busy with your actions too. So verse 9, whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put into practice. Get busy living out your faith in Jesus. And this little thing you see happening here is Paul's working on this too because he can say, do what I'm doing, which is fairly amazing. Keep working out living for Jesus and know that God is with you. Um, the peace of God will be with you. So it's only a few short verses, but this is a list, you know, those final instructions from the Apostle Paul to the, the young Christians in Philippi, going through a rough trot, encouraging them to stand firm in their faith in Jesus. And I don't know where you're at, and I don't know what sort of things might be shaking your trust in Jesus, but it's encouraging to read these verses, pray about it and think about it. 
There's all sorts of things which rock our faith. But as Christians, we should be encourage each other to stand firm and keep living for Jesus, bringing all our concerns to him. And so let's finish by doing that. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the work that you have begun in each of us. Father, thank you for making it possible for us to hear the truth of the gospel of Jesus, to know real, complete forgiveness through his death on the cross. Lord, we pray that you would help each one of us to keep growing in our trust in him, to keep living out our faith in Jesus, to show in our lives that we have Jesus as our Lord and our Saviour. And Lord, please keep reassuring us with the righteousness that Jesus has won for us. And please keep working in us to make us blameless on the day that Jesus returns. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.